Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Who do you think is the most powerful person in the world right now? Jesus, right, yes. Aside from Jesus, who do you think is the most powerful person in the world right now? Any ideas? Just shout out. Putin. Putin? Okay. Anybody else? Who do you think is the most powerful person in the world right now? Donald Trump. Anybody else? Any other thought? Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos. Anybody else? Who? Elon Musk, yeah, anybody else? Yeah, well, people on the sound desk aren't, aren't allowed to actually answer because basically they have the PowerPoint there, so like they know what the answer is. So like, you know, Tony and John, forbidden to talk. But apparently, according to Forbes magazine, the most powerful person in the world right now is this guy, Xi Jinping, the president of China. So makes sense, president of the largest country in the world. Apparently he, in all the lists, it comes out as number one is the most powerful. Other people in the top 10 are Jeff Bezos, CEO of Amazon, Joe Biden, Vladimir Putin. Although I do wonder if he's maybe slipped a few places. I don't know if the whole war has, you know, he's gone down a bit. I don't know. Maybe he's gone up a bit. I don't know. But anyway, Narendra Modi, who's the prime minister of India. He's also on there. Obviously huge country. Larry Page, Yes, the guy there who, I have no idea who he is, but co-founder of Google, so obviously very important. Also, apparently Angela Merkel is still up there as one of the most powerful people in the world, even though she's no longer the chancellor of Germany anymore. I don't know whether just everybody else is phoning her up for advice or whatever, but she's still up there as well. There's lots of other people I haven't mentioned. I mean, Bill Gates is up there as well. The guy who leads Saudi Arabia because of all their oil wealth, he's up there as well, but... Lots of really powerful people there. Now, none of us, I don't think, unless you're really hiding it, none of us have as much power as those people that we've just talked about here. But we all do have some power, some degree of power in our lives. Perhaps you work in a job where you lead a team. Obviously, that means you've got power over what the people in your team do, what they do for the job. Perhaps you're responsible for budgets or allocation of money or projects. All these things mean that you have a degree of power, okay? If you're a teacher, for example, you've obviously got power over your pupils' learning. If you're a nurse or a doctor, you've got power over your patient's health. If you're a parent, you've got power over how your children are raised. So we all have power to some degree, and we can use that power for good, or we can abuse that power, and we can use it for harm. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about power, I want to talk about who has it, who doesn't, and what happens as a result. So that's what we're going to talk about today, power. So this morning, we're continuing our God Meant It For Good series, going through the life of Joseph in Genesis. And the passage we're going to be looking at this morning is Genesis chapter 39. You can get open in your Bibles. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to go through that together. And Genesis chapter 39 basically is all about power and, and how it's used by various different people in the passage. Now, before we read the passage, let's just get up to speed with where we are in the story so far. Now, the story starts in Genesis 37, the story of Joseph. Uh, We've got this 17-year-old boy, Joseph, who's a bit full of himself, 
possibly because he's his father's favorite son. His other 11 brothers are super jealous of him. Uh, They hate him because of this. Uh, And then to make matters worse, Joseph has some dreams about his brothers all bowing down to him, which, of course, he shares with them. You think that's not the greatest idea if they already hate you, which makes them hate him even more, so much so that they decide together to try and kill him. But fortunately, they kind of, they bottle it. They back out and decide, okay, we're not going to kill him. Instead, we're going to throw him in a pit, and then they eventually sell him off to some slave traders. What they do then is they rub his robe, the special robe he'd been given by his father, in some animal blood, and they use it to convince their father that he's dead. And then just as you're getting excited to know what's going to happen next, you think, right, what happens next? Then the next chapter, chapter 38, the story completely changes tack. And we, we move to, instead of find out what happens next to Joseph, we move to follow Joseph's brother, Judah, um, and see what happens to him. And basically in chapter 38, Judah abuses his position of power to exploit and mistreat his daughter-in-law, Tamar. Okay, so chapter 38, we looked at it last week. It's not a barrel of laughs. It really isn't. <laughs> it's a pretty tough, tough chapter to read. And then we reach chapter 39, which we're going to look at today. And we return to finding out what happens next to Joseph. So let's see what happens next to Joseph in in Genesis chapter 39, verses 1 to 23. I'm going to read it together. You can follow along your Bibles or it will appear on the screen behind me. It says this. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. That's where these slave traders brought him. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Wouldn't it be nice to do that, to not concern yourself with anything about what you ate, than just what you ate? Anyway, a little bit different to us. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while, the master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern myself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you're his wife. How then can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was in sight. She, she caught him by the cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. 
When his master heard the story his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in a prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warder. So the warder put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warder paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Now, as I said earlier, what I'm going to talk about today is power. I'm going to talk about power. Who has it? Who doesn't? And what happens as a result? And that is what this story is about. It is about power. It's about willpower. It's about abuse of power. And it's about God's power. And these are the three things I want us to look at this morning. So firstly, willpower. Now, I mean, it's pretty clear to see. Joseph showed real willpower to resist the persistent advances of Potiphar's wife. And what Joseph does here is a really good example to us. He showed real willpower to do the right thing. In complete contrast to his brother Judah, who last week we saw clearly didn't do the right thing in how he treated Tamar. And I think what Joseph did so well here was immediately realizing that what was being suggested by Potiphar's wife was wrong. You know, he didn't minimize it. He wasn't like, uh, you know, maybe it's not that bad, really. Or, you know, maybe if I just sleep with her once, it'll be all right. Nobody will find out. No, he, he immediately recognizes sin as sin, and he's determined not to give in. But also what he did well was when things went south, you know, when, when Potiphar's wife like grabbed hold of him, what he does is he just gets out of there. He doesn't hang around to talk. He doesn't hang around to chat or discuss things or say, hey, hold on. He just gets away, gets completely out of the situation as fast as he possibly can. Now, I'll be honest with you. I've always thought this passage is about resisting temptation. Um, and when I read it earlier this week, I was like, yeah, okay, Potiphar's wife, Wants to sleep with Joseph, and as tempting as that might be for Joseph, he says no. Well done, Joseph. Top marks. Good job. A star. And basically, where I was going to go with this sermon this morning was to say, you know, Joseph, he's a really good example when it comes to resisting temptation. And I think there's, there's some great principles we can learn from him about recognizing sin as sin and getting out of situations where you feel tempted. And I even was going to use this really good quote from Martin Luther about like temptation and like birds going in your air. Oh, I mean, honestly, it was such a convicting quote and I had it all written out and I was ready to use it. And then I also had come up with some really good illustrations um, about how we can resist temptation in our lives. Oh my goodness, like you guys, we're all going to leave here this morning so equipped to resist temptation. Like, I mean, you were going out powered to resist temptation, honestly. But basically what I did with all that, I deleted all that stuff. It's gone. I didn't even like copy and paste it and save it in another document. Like it's not coming in another sermon. It's gone, okay? And the reason I deleted it is because the more I read through this passage this week, the more I realized this story isn't actually about resisting temptation. And that made me sad because I was really looking forward to using my killer Martin Luther quote and sharing those awesome illustrations. You know, you're going to be like, oh, that was such a good sermon, so convicting, it was great, and it's gone now. And, you know, so I'm a little bit disappointed with that. But if you think about it, think about this passage, right? What is temptation? Okay, temptation or resisting temptation is about trying not to do something that you want to do, Okay. So simple example, there's a big slice of chocolate cake. You want the slice of chocolate cake. 
you know you shouldn't have the slice of chocolate cake. So you resist wanting the chocolate cake and you don't have it. That's resisting temptation, isn't it? That's like a real simple kind of thing. You want it, but you know it's wrong, so you resist and you don't do it, right? But when you read this story, it doesn't look like Joseph wanted to sleep with Potiphar's wife at all. So it's not really temptation, is it? But what's actually happening is Joseph is being cornered into doing this against his own will. Now, when we think of it this way, that's not resisting temptation. That's something completely different altogether. And, you know, the more I've read this this week, the more I've come to realize that rather than being about resisting temptation, this passage is about abuse of power. That's what it's about. It's about abuse of power, much in the same way that the story of Judah and Tamar from last week was about abuse of power, too. Which leads me to the second point which is abuse of power. Now, in one sense, this story is very similar to the one we looked at last week, which was about Joseph's brother, um, a powerful man, abusing a powerless woman called Tamar. And in the story today, though, um, it's similar, but the difference is the gender roles are just reversed. It's the woman who has the power, and it's the man who is powerless. Think about it. Potiphar's wife had all the power in this situation, and Joseph had none. She was free, whereas he was a slave. She was rich, he was poor. She was Egyptian, whereas he was a foreigner. She was the kind of person who was believed, whereas he was not. She was able to leave if she wanted, whereas he was not. And despite Joseph being very clear that he didn't want or he didn't consent to a sexual relationship, Potiphar's wife used her position of power to sexually harass him before eventually trying to force the issue. One Bible commentator who writes on this passage says, this story is a lot more like an attempted rape than a seduction. This story is a lot more like an attempted rape than a seduction. So we shouldn't miss what's going on in this situation just because the victim was male and the perpetrator was female. I mean, just try and imagine how different this story would feel if the gender roles were reversed. You know, a powerful man tries to sleep with a powerless woman and won't take no for an answer. I mean, it feels completely different, doesn't it? I really do think there's a, there's a reason these two stories, this one and the one about Judah and Tamar in the previous chapter, are side by side in the Bible. I think we're meant to see them as linked. I think today's sermon is part two from last week's sermon. And if you didn't hear last week's sermon, it was brilliant. Do go check it out online. And you know, I think the lesson here for us as Christians is when we have power over another, we shouldn't use that power to exploit them, whether that be sexually or in any other way. As Christians, we've got a responsibility to use the power we have for good, to help the powerless rather than exploit the powerless. Now, you know, Joseph, he, he, he took a stand for justice in this passage. He, he stood up for what was right and he was punished as a result. He suffered injustice as a result. And, you know, as Christians, we should follow Joseph's example here. Now, we should be standing up for what is right. You know, we've got to stand up for justice, no matter what the consequences are. No matter what we're going to face as a result, we've got to stand up for what is right. I, watched a, I re-watched a film, I've seen it before, but I re-watched it a couple of months ago, uh, called Spotlight. And Spotlight is a film about the Boston Globe reporters who uncovered the, the child abuse uh, that had been going on in the Catholic Church for years in that kind of eastern seaboard of America. And um, I mean, it's a heartbreaking film. But what's really heartbreaking is this terrible stuff has happened, but the church is covering it up. 
and you've got these investigative reporters coming in and trying to uncover it. And what's really sad about the film is the journalists are the good guys and the church are the bad guys. And it's absolutely true. And that's the sad thing about it. And I'm watching this film and it's heartbreaking. And you know, I don't know about you, but it breaks my heart to hear stories about child abuse. I mean, in any setting, but child abuse that has happened in churches, like you know, down throughout the years. I mean, it breaks my heart. I mean, church leaders abusing their power to harm the powerless. Absolutely awful. And you know what makes it worse is when these things are discovered so often in the past, the church, rather than seeking justice, was more concerned with covering it up. Why? Because the cost of justice, the cost of the truth coming to light might be too great. You know, it might make people get disillusioned with church or it might cause people to lose their faith and we couldn't have that, could we? I mean, that's the thinking behind it. Why should we cover it up? I mean, wow, terrible. You know, as Christians, we stand for justice above all else. That is what we're about. We stand for what's right and we stand for what's true no matter what the consequences are. No matter what the consequences are. That's what we're about. If we ain't doing that, who are we? That's what we're about. Okay? So that's the second thing, abuse of power. Third point, God's power. Okay, we've seen there's been willpower in this passage from Joseph. There's been abuse of power. And then we're going to see God's power. Third point. Now, God's power is clearly on display in this passage. Verse 2 says, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. That's God's power at work right there. Verse 3 says, Potiphar saw that the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in everything he did. So even unbelieving Potiphar can see God's power at work. And then verse 5 says, the Lord blessed the household of Potiphar because of Joseph. So it's not just Joseph that God's powerful blessing is impacting, but his boss and his household are receiving the blessing from God as well. God's incredibly powerful here. We really see that. Now, it's easy to think when, you know, when Potiphar's wife gets Joseph chucked in jail, it can be easy to think, okay, God, like, what's happened? I mean, you got on holiday or something? I mean, everything was going so well, and then just everything just seems to go off a cliff. But no, even this, it was all part of God's plan. He is still powerfully at work in this situation. If you just look at verse 20, what jail does Joseph get chucked into? He gets thrown in the king's jail. With all the king's prisoners. You can even see in this, God was moving him to the next place he wanted him to be. It was all in his plan to raise Joseph to power in Egypt so he could save his brothers and so he could save a nation. All part of God's plan. Now, maybe you're sitting here thinking, okay, I can see how God was working in Joseph's life. That's really clear. I get it. But you might be thinking, look, if I'm honest, I don't see him working in my life. Well, unlike with the story of Joseph, you know, we don't get our lives all neatly written up, unstuck in the Bible, you know, with all the bits where God worked clearly written down. God worked here. God used this. God did that. You know, we, we, don't, we don't get that. And we don't have the nice happy ending at the end where we can look back and be like, oh, God made it all for good. And I can see how he used that and that and this and that. You know, we don't, even though we don't get that perspective, though, God is still working in your life, even if you don't think you see it. God is still working in your life today, even if you don't think you see it. You know, we, uh, when we put Max and Grace, our uh, five-year-old and two-year-old, to bed, they're both in the same room. Uh, oftentimes what we'll do is we'll play some music for them to, so they'll, they'll fall asleep to the music. And uh, we have this little playlist on our Spotify playlist. It's just four worship songs. 
one of the worship songs is the song Waymaker. Anybody heard of Waymaker? Yeah, we sing it here sometimes. Now, what normally happens is we take that, that worship little playlist, four songs, and we put it on loop. So it'll play the four songs, it'll go back and it'll play the four songs again, it'll play the four songs again, and again, and again, and again, many, many times before those children go to sleep, okay? So let's just say over the last six months, we have heard those songs a lot, a lot of times, all right? Particularly Waymaker. But there's this bit in Waymaker, the song, this verse, where, uh, it, it, where the, the lines of this says, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. You never stop working, right? So I'm listening to that. I'm thinking, oh, good line. Then he sings the verse again, but louder and more drums and a few more singers, right? And uh, I'm like, okay, cool, great. And then, and then he sings the verse again with a few more singers, a little bit louder. He's kind of screaming now. Um, and he's like, you know, even when I don't see it, you're working. And I'm like, man, get some new lines. Come on. This is it's all right. You've just repeated the same verse three times. All right. And then just when I'm getting like, okay, right, sing something else, he sings it again. And we've got the fourth verse in a row, exactly the same lyrics, just him shouting it a bit louder every time. And I was thinking, I was thinking about this, you know, there's something in that, you know, there's something in this that it's something we need to hear. And we need to hear again and again and again. We need to be reminded again and again of the fact that even if we don't see God working, even when we don't feel him working in our lives, He's still working, he's still working, he's still working on a plan, and he's still doing it, and he never stops, he never stops working. And I think that's something we just need to hear and be reminded of, that God is doing that. Now, even if, like Joseph, some of us here, we're going through a really hard time, God's going to use that. He's going to morph that hard time you've had into good. He's going to use it to bring about his plan for your life. You know, as it says, God works all things. Now, this might be hard to stomach for some of you who've gone through proper hard times. But what it says in God's word, it says God works all things. Not just the nice things, but he works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's us. And that doesn't mean... A lot of the things that happen to us are good or nice. I mean, some of us have gone through some incredibly painful things, I know. But in, a, in this kind of almost mysterious way, God can even take the worst of things, grab hold of them, and use them to bring about good. You know, and I think of my own life. I remember when I was 17, staying over at my, gra- my grandmother's house, and she died while I was staying with her. I woke up the next day, and I was like, wow dead body never seen a dead body before that was a tough time but basically I can look back God used that moment to basically save me to lead me to becoming a Christian you know but 10 years ago I I suffered from a lot of anxiety for probably about two years it was pretty debilitating actually um and you know I can look back now and be like well I, I learned a far greater compassion and empathy for other people when they suffer through me suffering which is you know pretty important if you're going to be a church pastor to have a little bit of compassion and empathy for people who are suffering but I can see how God used that but you know there's other things in my life and I don't I don't know what goods come from it I have no idea what goods come from it maybe I never will um and you know that that's true for all of us we may never know how God uses something to bring about good. But the reality is what we have to do in the midst of that, that uncertainty is it's trusted. Because that is, that is what faith is all about. It's about trusting God in the uncertainty. 
And, you know, I think one of the reasons, you know, I mean, Joseph, Joseph is one of those popular stories in the whole Bible. People love it. I mean, even non-Christians love it. They make musicals about it and films about it. I mean, it's a great story. And I think the reason, one of the reasons we love the Joseph story is because it, it's also neat and tidy. You know, all the loose ends get tied up at the end. You know, you get to the end, it's a complete happy story. It's like Disney, you know, it's like everyone's happy in the end. There's redemption, there's forgiveness, there's reconciliation. And, you know, like there's all these fun little bits that are just nicely tied up. Like the fact that Joseph becomes like the most powerful person in Egypt apart from the Pharaoh. So basically, he's more powerful than Potiphar and his wife. You know, he gets to, like, order Potiphar and his wife. You know, you just think, oh, that's such good vindication, isn't it? And sometimes we just love our lives to be like, that, wouldn't we? Oh, so neatly tied up at the end. But in our lives, we don't have all the answers. You know, there's an element of uncertainty. There's an element of mystery. And we wrestle with things that we struggle to get our heads around. But, you know, I think that that's okay to do that. And I think that's part of what faith and trust in God is. You know, it's saying, God, look, I don't have all the answers, but I'm going to trust you anyway. I'm going to place myself in your hands. And ultimately, that's what God wants. He wants our hearts. He wants our hearts trusting in him. So God's got a plan for your life. He's working to bring it out about. Even when we don't see it, he's working. Even when we don't feel it, he's working. He never stops. He never stops working. So God's power is clearly on display in the story of Joseph. But the place God's power is most on display anywhere is in the life of Jesus. Because it's, it's through Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection that God showed he had power over the two most powerful things in the world, which is sin and death. And he defeated them both at the cross. So that when we trust in him, we can defeat them too. And we can have our sins forgiven. We can have eternal life after this life ends. So just to finish, look, this morning we've talked about power. We've talked about who has it, who doesn't, and what happens as a result. Well, who has it? Ultimately, God's the one with all the power. He is supremely powerful, okay? He's not just the king. He's the king of kings. Amen? Mm -hmm. He's supremely powerful. Now, who doesn't have the power? Sin and death doesn't have the power. They no longer have any power over us who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that good news? Absolutely. And what happens as a result? We get to have life. We get to have eternal life in all its fullness for all of us who trust in him.